From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm your host, Amanda Icone. This week, we're talking about a major change in U.S. accounting rules, a change that could hit the earnings of U.S. banks starting in 2020. The new accounting standard is known as CECL. That's short for Current Expected Credit Loss. Banks and others will have to set aside reserves against future losses on the loans they issue far sooner than they do now. And because it involves predicting future economic conditions, it's challenging and controversial. The Financial Accounting Standards Board, known as FASB, intends to better align the accounting with the economics of banks' lending, all in response to the 2008 financial crisis. I spoke with Nicola White, who covers financial accounting for Bloomberg Tax, for an update on the accounting change and to help us understand why Cecil has created so much controversy. Thanks for joining me, Nicola. Thank you for having me, Amanda. Nicola, let's start with the basics. Remind everyone, what is Cecil? Sure. So Cecil is billed as the biggest change to bank accounting in decades, and it is. Um, it was published in 2016. It goes into effect for most banks in 2020, and it's it's really a huge change to what banks do today. Um, they have to look to the future, consider past experience, and also assess current economic conditions to set aside the losses that they expect on loans and other financial instruments. Under existing accounting, banks don't book losses on loans until it's probable that they have happened. And they have to have strong evidence that um, a loan is, is, is losing money. So in practice, that means the customers miss payments. So you can imagine, as we were running up to the financial crisis, uh, losses were on the horizon. Lending standards were loosening. Everybody expected things to go south. And bank balance sheets looked overly optimistic. Then the financial crisis hit, and banks just couldn't take losses fast enough. CECL, the current expected credit losses standard, aims to change all of that. We're talking about banks here, but this accounting change really applies to all companies, not just banks. So why the focus on financial institutions? So you're right. CECL applies to all businesses, but the reason that banks care so much is because while Every company has some kind of financial asset on its books. Banks have a lot of loans. Loans are the bread and butter. So any change to the accounting for loans is going to affect their financial statements in a really big way. Right. This is a, an estimate, and it's what we call material to the financial statement, right? It's a significant exactly. part of the financials for, for banks. Right. And do we know how much of a change banks are estimating. Some companies have already been reporting what they expect the impact to be. What have you found in your reporting? Right. So banks are required to give us sort of a sneak peek of how CECL is affecting their, how CECL is going to affect their their financial statements uh, once it goes live for the large banks in 2020. And what we've been seeing in the run-up to 2020 is that the effect is so disparate. There's really no consensus view on how CECL is affecting a bank. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of banks are nervous about CECL, because every bank is going to look a little bit different once CECL goes into effect. So, for example, Ally Financial said that they would have to increase their reserves by up to 100 percent, whereas Zions Bank just reported that um, 
they might see their reserves go down or maybe increase by as little as 5%. So the results are really all over the map. And uh, you know, investors like to see consistency. Banks like to be able to report things. They don't like volatility. And Cecil could introduce some volatility. Um, and, and the reason why they really care about where the reserves move is because when you increase your reserves, it, can, it affects your net income. And that affects your stock price. That affects your executive compensation. And then there's an additional layer, and that layer is the regulatory capital that you have to keep to cover losses on loans and things like that. So when you have to increase your capital, banks say that they, um, they might be less likely to lend, less likely to invest. They, have less, they essentially have fewer resources. So while it's just a quote-unquote accounting change, it does have ramifications in a lot of different areas. Banks have resisted this change in accounting. Obviously, it's a huge impact to them. They, they have warned about potential impacts to lending. Are there other reasons why they're resistant to this change? And, and why is this such a hot political issue right now in the industry? Well, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different layers to that. Let's start with just the fundamentals of CECL. You're supposed to look to the future, consider past experience. Um, in the lead up to FASB publishing CECL, a lot of bankers and auditors said, how do we look to the future? We don't have crystal balls. No one predicted the, you know, the exact whatever, you know, exactly what was going to happen with the financial crisis. How are they supposed to do that? So that's one concern. Um, a second concern is how do we audit the numbers that come out? This is an extremely sensitive number, and it affects so many pieces of a bank's overall financials. So there's a lot of eyeballs on it, and people really, really care. So there's the mechanics of CESOL, and then there's the what happens if the economy goes south. So this is where a lot of banks and lobby groups have been raising alarm bells. The economy is pretty benign right now, but if we hit some kind of bad bad patch or a bump, bump in the road, um, what are the reserves going to go through the roof? And what does that mean for the capital that they have to set aside? And what does that mean? Or does that mean they're going to be less likely to lend to customers with lower credit scores? Or are they going to just want to make safe loans? And when the economy gets tough, in theory, you want to be able to extend credit to a bigger number of customers because you don't want the economy to just hit a standstill. Well, that sort of sounds like procyclicality. We hear that term a lot. Can you can you help us understand what that means? And so, procyclicality means kind of like what it sounds like: cycles in the economy, big swings in the economy. No one likes big swings in the economy, and a lot of the opponents of Cecil say that this accounting change could exacerbate changes in the economy, big swings in the economy, rather, and that's because. If banks have to tighten their lending because of an accounting change, it means that they will be less likely to lend. And when they're less likely to lend, customers don't have credit, people don't spend as much, and the economy just spirals further. So nobody wants that to happen. And a lot of the critics of 
Cecil and how the FASB wrote the rules say this is what's going to happen. Well, speaking of FASB, there has been a lot of pressure on the U.S. Accounting Standards Center to delay implementation of this accounting rule. Tell us more about that. What's the latest? Sure. So this has been controversial from the get-go, and FASB has been under tremendous pressure to kill Cecil, change Cecil, delay Cecil. And the latest efforts have revolved around what a lot of people call stop and study. So pause implementation, do some sort of study about how the new rules could affect the economy, and don't let it go into effect until we know what's going to happen. So far, it looks like that's not going to go anywhere. Big banks are on track to go ahead with Cecil in 2020. However, FASB just recently um, uh, agreed to delay the implementation until 2023 for smaller institutions. And that covers uh, credit unions, privately held banks, and a class of public companies that the SEC defines as smaller reporting companies. And these are really the small community banks that happen to be publicly traded. So... That is designed to let the smaller banks learn from the big guys and see how to get this major accounting change in place. And also, FASB has said that, you know, this is an accounting change. It's not supposed to change the economics of lending. It's reflecting the economics. So they've really tried to downplay all of the criticisms that's been lobbed their way. Um, and 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 just you know one of the things that um, FASB member Hal Schroeder, who is sort of the, the public face of Cecil these days, he has said you know a good loan is still going to be a good loan under Cecil. A bad loan is going to be a bad loan under Cecil. So things are just the same. They're just getting recorded in a different way. And what about U.S. banking regulators, the FDIC? The um, Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, where do they stand? Do they have any say in this rule? Yes, to an extent. Um, So regulators were among the groups that, after the crisis, said, we need to change current accounting rules because they just don't reflect the realities of of banks losing money, essentially. (laughs) So um, they have been kind of pretty pretty pro-Cecil to an extent. Um, And they have said publicly that they are monitoring the implementation. And if they're going to take any action, it won't be until Cecil is in place. So there are things that they could do, such as lessen the capital impact of Cecil. And they have um, they have taken action already. They finalized a rule that would kind of phase in the day one effect of the capital impact of Cecil. So you get to phase it in over three years. Um, This is seen as as a big relief for banks. Well, so it's not just been the regulators or FASB or the banking industry that's been talking about this. Congress has also gotten involved in the debates. What's happening on the Hill? Have there been any bills or movement, any efforts to delay this accounting change? That's right. Cecil, like I said, has been controversial since the get-go, and it has gotten a lot of lawmaker attention. And in December 2018, Congressman Blaine Lukemeyer, a Republican of Missouri, introduced a bill to stop Cecil. That did not go anywhere. However, there was a, uh, a hearing 
with uh, uh, with the Capital One CFO and an economist economist from Moody's who all talked about the, the pros and cons of Cecil. And so that sort of started getting Cecil echoing through Capitol Hill. Since then, in June, there was a bipartisan bill. Um, so I think it was five Republicans, five Democrats um, introduced a bill in the House to st- stop and study Cecil. So make somebody study the economic impact of Cecil before allowing the FASB to let it go live. And then just recently in September, Lute Kamire again introduced another bill. This bill does not mention Cecil by name, but it clearly has Cecil in the crosshairs. It requires FASB to um, stop and essentially before they finalize any new accounting update, they would have to conduct economic studies and studies about credit availability and how the accounting would affect the economy. So clearly that's another attempt to, to thwart Cecil. And that bill has no co-sponsors and is expected not to really go anywhere, but it does show that there's still a lot of eyeballs on this and a, a lot of dissent about Cecil. So politics aside, there's an implementation date. Big banks are preparing for January 2020. Small banks have a little bit more time. Where do they stand in in terms of implementation? And what are some of the challenges that we're hearing from banks as they're working through this rather complicated standard? Sure. So 2020 is right around the corner. And despite all the noise, it's it's happening. Banks are definitely going to have to start following Cecil in 2020, the large banks anyway. So the the Citibanks, the JP Morgans, the Chases, the Capital Ones, they're all ready to go in 2020. And the results are sort of all over the map uh, as to how Cecil is affecting them, but they are definitely going to be going ahead. And then smaller banks are going in 2023. Across across the spectrum, banks are telling us all kinds of different things about the challenges of CESOL because, again, this is the biggest change to bank accounting in decades, and it requires an awful lot of work to comply with. So, you know, they're talking about data efforts, going back in time to find historical information about losses. They're talking about what kind of models they're using to to look to the future, a lot of times they have to bring in outside experts to help them with that. And they're wondering what exactly are the current conditions going to be when 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 we implement CECL. So that's that's pretty universal. That is one the, the challenges of implementing CECL is one of the u- universal things. But going back to 2020, it's it's full steam ahead. Thank you so much, Nicola, for joining me today to talk about Cecil. Nicola White covers financial accounting for Bloomberg Tax. Thanks, Amanda. And here's some of the week's tax and accounting news. Find these headlines and more at news.bloombergtax.com. Cities in Alaska are getting together to form a clearinghouse to charge and collect sales taxes from online sellers. Alaska has no state sales tax, but many communities there do, and they are eager to set up a system for collecting the revenue starting as soon as January. The U.S. Supreme Court's 2018 Wayfair decision opened the door to states and cities to collect local sales taxes from online retailers. 
and check out our insights, where practitioners explore hot topics in tax and accounting. This week, Forrest David Milder of Nixon Peabody breaks down the timetables and grace periods related to opportunity zones. Under the 2017 tax reform law, investors may be eligible for a break on their capital gains taxes for investment in these economically disadvantaged areas. Plus, two BDO international tax experts explore prospects for the OECD's proposed unified approach to taxation in the digital economy, plus what to watch as negotiations continue. That's it for this week's edition. From Washington, I'm Amanda Icone. You probably have a lot of questions about the environment. Well, so do we. Are we talking like radioactive chemicals? Is this becoming sort of irrelevant if the U.S. doesn't participate in this? What's going on here? How far did the Trump administration go? And is mining really better down where it's wetter? Climate change, chemicals, water pollution, you name it. If it's in the environment, we're talking about it. Listen to Bloomberg Environment's official podcast, Parts Per Billion, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, get up-to-the-minute reporting at our website, news.bloombergenvironment.com.